Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. I hope that you are engaged today in the Word of God. I certainly hope you've been in the Word of God before we start talking about all that is going on in the world, because as Christians, we we want to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of our day, and we want to do so as people of peace. We want to be prepared to sow peace into the conversations of the day. I just want to give a shout out to a listener who sent me an email yesterday in a follow-up to um, uh, just a an expression of how he has been moved to reach out to a longtime friend who is an African-American, uh, lives in a, in a different city uh, across the country than this listener lives in. Um, and and I asked him if I could share on air just a portion of what he shared, and he, he said yes. So um, he says of his friend, he's a believer that I mentored over years through long conversations going uh, back to the late 80s. And so this uh, this white listener is saying of his African-American friend who now, you know, lives in a different city. Um, uh, you know, as we were talking, I just thought aloud to myself, what if this had been my dear friend, Dean, uh, who suffered this evil uh, in Minneapolis? And so they lamented together. And he said, uh, we ended up uh, we arrived together at this thought. All of us need to ask God to reveal our blind spots. We all have them. Uh, he says, believers, submit your blind spots to God and ask for healing. Together we agreed upon Psalm eighty nine fourteen, the understanding of justice always coupled with God's righteousness. We need to listen for the pain underneath the expressions of anger and violence, and we agreed together that our only meaningful solidarity is in Jesus Christ. Um, so this morning, let me uh, say with this listener, amen, uh, and let me encourage you to reach out today to uh, your friends people who you have known over the course of time um, whose skin color is different than your own, whichever direction that goes, reach out today um, and just ask one another, like, how are you processing what's happening in the world right now? Uh, uh, find a passage of Scripture that you can agree together on as these men agreed together on Psalm eighty-nine, fourteen, and And be reminded that our only solidarity in life and in death is in Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. He's the sure foundation. He's the only rock upon which we can stand and certainly the only one upon which we can stand together. Uh, And so let me just uh, start with that this morning. We all have blind spots. Let's uh, be open to seeing those. To help us see some of our blind spots, my next guest is Tyler Merritt of the Tyler Merritt Project. His uh, videos are now viral. Uh, He's been featured on Jimmy Kimmel and many other national media outlets in just the last few days. So next up, Tyler Merritt on his video, Before You Call the Cops. We'll be right back. So 
sometimes God exposes you to people um, online or via social media that you say to yourself, I want to talk to them. I want to know them. Tyler Merritt is one of those people. I saw a uh, a video that was posted um, ultimately on Twitter from the Tyler Merritt Project, and the uh, video is called Before You Call the Cops. Tyler Merritt is joining me today. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, well, thank you so much for agreeing to be here. I would love to play the audio or a portion of the audio from the video that first exposed me to you from the Tyler Merritt Project. So we got about uh, two minutes of you all getting to listen to my first exposure to Tyler Merritt. Before you call the cops, I just want you to know the first thing that I did when I woke up this morning was yell at my alarm clock. My parents were raised in the South. I have to roll tide or they'll disown me. They raised me in Las Vegas. That city still has my heart. I hate spiders. I'm a vegetarian. I'm not proud about it. I've done goat yoga. I'm really not proud about that. I can tell you every single word off the NWA Straight Outta Compton album. I can also sing you every single word from Oklahoma. Bananas are disgusting. I am a Christian. I spend almost every Sunday morning teaching kids in Sunday school. I am often asked if I am Muslim. I'm okay with that. I'm pretty much convinced if you met my mother, you'd automatically become a better person. My father is a veteran. He taught me how to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am to everyone that I meet. I don't hate our president. I pray for him. I love basketball and also hockey. I've never been to jail. I've never owned a gun. I hate that anyone at all might possibly be afraid of me. I'd go around the world and back again if I knew that single act might make your day better. I'm a proud man. I'm a proud black man. Does any of this really matter? No. I just wanted you to get to know me better before you called the cops. That's Tyler Merritt. The Tyler Merritt Project is where you can find him, both on Facebook and YouTube, the Tyler Merritt Project, and he is with me today. Tyler, again, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. So glad to be here. So um, you would describe yourself in a number of ways, and you um, have, have let us see who you are by telling us things about yourself that remind us of a lot of things about ourselves, right? I love bananas. I do not find them disgusting. I am not a vegetarian. 
But, but Carmen, uh, Carmen, you're wrong on bananas. That's that's where we're going to have to draw the line. <laughs> See, I knew we were going to find the ultimate dividing line here, right? But, you know, but I have a vet in my family. I am one of those people who says almost exactly the same thing about my mom that you have said about yours. The way I phrase it is everybody would be better off if they'd been raised by a mom like mine. And so um, we have a lot of things in common. And yet there is this chance that if I met you for the first time and it was dark outside and I had some other reason to have a cause for fear, I might be inclined to be afraid of you because you are a black man. That's the conversation we have got to have in this country. Um, for sure. And, and so I want to get to know you and I want our listeners to get to know you as a first step in the direction of what does it look like for you know, the white woman and the black man to get to know one another well enough that you have no fear of me being irrationally afraid and doing something that is ultimately um, or potentially destructive to your life, which would be calling the police. Like, that's right. the conversation I feel like we have to have in this country. You know, first, Carmen, I would say um, if people listen to that video and they are still your listeners are still tuned in right now um from the bottom of my heart i thank them because that tells me that there's something inside of them that is saying i need to be a part of this conversation i want to be a part of this conversation because we're not about to talk about a cute cat video right <laughs> this is this is real life and um when i first built before you call the cops as I was continuing to create content. I had just come back from walking on a walk here in the Nashville area. And I was about to cross the street. It's a walk I take all the time. I was about to cross an intersection. And there was an older white lady who was sitting in her like pickup truck. Now, I understand what I look like. I am a six foot two black man with dreadlocks and when I'm out on the street, I have a bandana on to keep from sweat from out of my eyes. And I have a hood up really to block from the sun. And um, I had sunglasses on and my headphones. So as I'm about to cross the street, I see her. And because I acknowledge my presence, though I should not have to in any way whatsoever humanize myself to anyone, I should not have to do that. I did say, you know what? This lady does not know me. Her window is down. I'm about to cross in front of her. I'm, I took off my sunglasses, brought down my hoodie, took my headphones off so she would be aware that I could hear her if she needed to say anything. I put on a smile, legitimately, Carmen, thought to myself, let me put this smile on real quick and, and be as approachable as I possibly can be, because I understand I'm about to walk past her truck with her window down, and she's going to be not a feet away from me as I do so. And as I continued to walk up to her truck, as soon as she saw me, she turned a shock went through her and almost dramatically out of a movie, she started rolling up her window really, really quick and, and, and gripping onto her, her steering wheel. And typically something like that, I wouldn't even think about. And I would kind of uh, just let it bypass. But because I had tried to do everything possible to take away whatever threat she might feel, mm -hmm. I stopped right in front of her truck and I kind of like giggled a little bit, not giggled like, like, um, you're funny, but Gil, like, this is kind of unbelievable. Like, I don't know what else I could have done. And so I came home that night, and um, I think it kind of fell in my subconscious mind, because later that night, 
I started putting together before you called the cops, where I just wanted to put an introduction. Because what I thought was really funny, Carmen, is if she would have known what I was listening to in my headphones, which at the time I don't remember, but it was it very easily could have been worship music. And when I say worship music, I'm talking it could have been Hillsong, right? Um, it could have been it, it could have been anything. It just as well could have been a musical. Like I think at the time, Bring It On, the musical was important. It was a to me, it was a cheerleading musical that I was listening to in my headphones. And I'm thinking, if she could, if she knew what I was listening to while I'm about to cross the street, not only might she giggle, but she might also go, wait a minute. There's something about, even though we are not the same person, there's something on the ground floor of this that might make us the same and therefore release, release some fear from who I am um, and my image. I am talking with Tyler Merritt. We're talking about the Tyler Merritt Project. We're really talking about the reality of life in America today for black men like Tyler and white women like me. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Continuing my conversation now with Tyler Merritt, you can find the Tyler Merritt Project on Facebook. You can also find it on YouTube. We're talking about uh, the first video that I saw, which is Before You Call the Cops. I would recommend, obviously, all the other ones as well. There's one about taking a walk that I think is equally excellent. Tyler, um, one of the things that you uh, observed about uh, about the woman in the pickup truck is, you know, she, she didn't know what you were listening to. Um, I think it's equally fair to say that you and I don't know what she's listening to. There is some sort of soundtrack playing in her head right. that is is lying to her about you. She's never met you. She's never seen mm. you. She's never talked to you. She doesn't know you. And yet, because of something, some soundtrack that's playing in her in her mind, that same soundtrack was playing in the mind of the woman in Central Park who did call the cops um, on, you know, on a man who's a, he happens to be black, but he's a Harvard graduate and he's out there bird watching, right? So um, there is some kind of soundtrack playing in the white woman's mind in America. And that's the thing I think we have to confront, or one of the things. Well, I'll tell you what I think is significant. And, and, and let's be real about this, especially with us living in the South, although I grew up in Las Vegas. There are a lot, because of the history of how the South works, um, there are a lot of lines where you can you can be in one part of town and then go into another part of town and go into the Kroger or to your grocery store, and the only people in there are white. And maybe the only people that are black are working behind the counter or they're there because they are serving you as a job. I know this because I can go to certain parts of Tennessee and walk in, be the only African-American there, which is very different than Las Vegas, Right. Go in, into a store and the only people I see may be behind the counter there to serve me with that. If the only people that are surrounded by you are the people that are like you and you've become so comfortable with that and you've become so knowing that, hey, these are just the people that are in my life with no with no apology to that. It makes perfectly good sense as to why. You may have this soundtrack that is in your head that is a little different. I've spoken at churches, white churches, with kid ministries. They would have me come. I would speak to their kids. And 
after I finished speaking to them, they would do like a collection plate or they would do an offering for a mission trip that the adults were going to take later. And now I'm speaking to a room of mostly white kids, 100, 200 or more white kids. I go off the stage, they go to do an offering and then they go, guys, let us show you a video to help you guys see what our church is going to do. So these white kids in a mostly white church begin to watch a video of children of color in Mexico and Africa and all of these places. And even from that young age, there becomes this, for lack of a better word, like a savior mentality or these people are lesser than I am for whatever reason. Now, if this was a church of diversity, it would be a different story because these kids every day are looking at these kids on an everyday basis going, these are the people I play with in the playground. These are the people I study the Bible with. These are the people that I worship with. But in this situation, we're looking up on the screen going, oh, those are the people that need me or are lesser than I am. So it starts at a young, young age. So I'm not surprised that when this lady is in her truck, her soundtrack is different than the soundtrack that is in mine. Tyler, um, when we think about the places where Black Americans and white Americans encounter one another in sort of the regular ebb and flow of life, I do feel like there are more of those environments than there were a generation ago. However, I also feel, I mean, I observe the same thing you're observing about, let's say, the grocery store. There are two different, you know, two exits on the interstate away, right? You can go to a Publix or a Kroger and go down then two exits further, and it's a, it's a radically different um, cultural experience. There's something to that, and there's something about us getting into proximity with one another. You know, intimacy doesn't happen in relationships until there's at least proximity. So talk right. about talk about the places where you would hope that going forward, black and white Americans might intersect with one another in order that rela- real relationships might be developed, in order that we might get to the place where I actually know Tyler when I see him on the street, and I have a completely different reaction to that than um, than the woman in the pickup truck? Well, I'll tell you this. Black people typically, no, let me back up. Everybody has the ability to shop and go the places that they feel most comfortable going. Most of the time, and, and let me be clear that black people are not a monolith, so I'm not speaking on behalf mm-hmm. of all black people, right. which I think is important, but... Most Black people exist in a mostly white world. If I go out of my house right now, I am pretty sure I'm going to run into some white people here and there based on the community that I live in. But many Black people do not have the privilege to not be in some sort of white community versus, and, and, I, and I say privilege respectfully, many white people have the privilege to be in an only white community. You can move to certain areas of town that um, are, are nice, clean, mostly white, and stay there and be okay and feel like I am perfectly fine with only these people. Black people either be going to work, going to uh, the store, go- taking their kids to school. We're, they're venturing out into an environment that is quite likely they're going to have to experience someone different than them. On the other side, though, I do think that White people, and I say, let me be clear, I, my, my, I, I don't mean saying white people disrespectfully, but white people, if they come 
I, I'm, I, I pray and hope that white people seek out different people than them, meaning mm-hmm. it's, it, it's a responsibility, but you are going to have to seek it out. And I'll give you an example. And this is so hard because trust me, raised in the church, I know what it's like where you wake up every single morning, you go to your own church, that's your church family, you tithe there, all of that. If you go into your church and most of the people in that community look the same as you, maybe one day out of the month, maybe one day every two months, you say to your family, hey, that let's go to Mount Zion over here. Let's just go and, and go to that church because I will tell you this. Those, those individuals in that church are going to welcome you in in a way that you probably have never been accepted before. And I think that's important to understand because most, most, most Black people tend to not have a fear of white people inundated in them because they do not have the privilege to do so. Therefore, If you take a moment, if it's a smile, if it's a hello, if it's a jest that you see me, it speaks volumes in a way that um, you can't even really begin to understand. Because I think at the core of who we are, Carmen, all of us, and this is why I started the Tyler Merritt Project, at the core of who we are, all of us want to be seen. When I say all of us, I'm talking everyone. This is the ground floor of who we are as people. We want to be seen, we want to be loved, we want to be accepted, we want to laugh, we want to know that we have a purpose. That's the bottom ground of who we are as people. And if we start there and begin to take slow steps up, we're going to find that, sure, we are alike, but I need you to see me as a black man. The idea of, hey, I don't see color, man. That's that. I, I, I respectfully, I need you to see color. I need you to see. I need you to recognize that I am different from you because your kid is going to see that I'm black, and your five-year-old kid's going to go, "Mommy, that's he's he's brown, or he looks like my crayon." And then you have a moment of going, "Uh, uh, uh we don't see color." I'm no, no. Your kid just sees what like I ain't mad at him, and I need you. I need you to do the same. I love it. Um, I I look forward to the next step in this conversation and relationship. Let me invite our listeners to find Tyler at the Tyler Merritt Project on both Facebook and YouTube, the Tyler Merritt Project. Tyler, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for the Tyler Merritt Project. Let me encourage people to uh, to check out specifically the video before you call the cops and use it as a conversation starter in your own family. Also, Carmen, I just want to say there's a the newest video that I put out that's currently going viral, which is crazy, um, is called The Playlist. And um, the, I would invite people to check that video out as well for the tone, um, especially your listeners very specifically. All right. I'm going to check it out right now. The Playlist at the Tyler Merritt Project. Tyler, thanks so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Awesome. Thank you. We'll be right back. So not all racism in America is black and white. In fact, racism in America is not black and white. So to help us see some of the shades between, one of our regular conversation partners, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, who all American woman, is going to join me next. We're going to talk about her experiences in America. We're also going to talk about COVID around the world, Lebanon.
Literature was never my best subject, but I've always been fond of the quote by Oscar Wilde. If you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh. Otherwise, they'll kill you. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When parents ask me how I've survived through living with more than 2,600 troubled teens, my answer is always laughter. It diffuses stress, it short-circuits anger, and it provides a healthy way to blow off steam. Is there tension brewing under your roof today? Try watching a comedy together as a family. Find a clean comedian you all enjoy. Post funny cartoons on the refrigerator or text jokes to each other if that's what it takes to get a chuckle. Proverbs 17.22 says a cheerful heart is good medicine. So lighten up and laugh. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Okay, so um, racism, actually, uh, maybe racism isn't even the right word here. Uh, Ethnic animosity is not just black and white. Uh, Partiality is a good word uh, to lift up here. Uh, Ruth Kramer joins us on a regular basis from Mission Network News, and we're going to talk today about a topic we've never discussed, um, and that is uh, that Ruth and I have different genetic heritages, even though we both um, now share the same blood in Jesus Christ. Ruth, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Well, I'm, uh, I am, I'm physically well, um, and I think that uh, like all my brothers and sisters in Christ across the country, um, you know, my, my soul is in a state of, of, of some disturbance um, uh, in these days. Um, if you will, talk, talk with us about your um, you know, your own heritage um, and maybe the experiences that you have had uh, with prejudice and partiality in your own life. Well, I'm Chinese-American. Um, you know, it's Chinese family, probably nine generations back that is pure generation, pure Chinese. We had an Irish missionary thrown in there nine generations back. Um, but uh, it means <sighs> that I, I look very, very Chinese. Um and and usually, you know, that's just not a thing that that makes you fully aware of the skin color or the fact that you look a little bit different from other people because of where I grew up. I grew up in California um, and, and then I moved to Ohio and we did look different. Um, we experienced things with neighbors where uh, they would paint on our garage, go back home. Um, there were multiple situations with the same family down the street that uh, their sons would come over and break windows in the garage. Um, they would paint things on on the garage that were uh, racial slurs. Um, and, you know, it was it was unsettling to have something like that because you knew these were your neighbors and that's not something you expect to have happen with a family that's living two doors down and you're going to kid, school with their kids. Um, that situation um, never resolved. It was just sort of hard feelings. And we wondered why it was us that they were targeting because there were other Asian families up and down the street. We figured it was probably because we were in, in proximity. So we were a target of convenience. And then um, later on, I moved to Jackson, Michigan, 
where I was working as a news director. And it was during a period where we had um, uh, that return to um, – there was an automotive crisis and it was um, you know, by American and that whole sentiment that was taking place in the early 90s. Uh, and Jackson was an automotive town. So if Detroit sneezed, Jackson caught pneumonia. And it was a very difficult period economically in that area. And I was driving to work. Uh, I stopped at an intersection and these protesters came, surrounded my car and started beating on my car and yelling slurs um, and trying to open the doors. That was unsettling because that was the first time I realized I'm being targeted because of what I look like and they're taking out their anger on me. Um, I have nothing to do with their situation, but they're so frustrated because um, they're, they feel powerless in a situation and they're looking for a victim to scapegoat uh, because that's what they wanted people to do with their, their frustration. I've been followed through stores. Um, I've had people follow me out into the parking lots and mutter threats as I'm trying to get to my car. I've actually called for security to walk me out to my car uh, in the past because I feel unsafe uh, trying to get to a vehicle that uh, I might have to sprint to and then get into. Um, so, I mean, these are things that have happened over the course of time. I moved to West Michigan and that kind of thing really wasn't um, part of a, a regular, um, I guess, timeline uh, for me. Um, until recently, and it, it's, I'm not going to say it, it happened a lot, it was just shortly after the COVID-19 thing happened and the president identified it as the Chinese virus. And I was going to the store um, and I was walking around in a store and a woman looked at me and she said, go back home, covered her face and ran out the door. <laughs> I looked behind me because I could not believe that that's what she just said. I was like, did this just actually happen? And I'm looking around and I'm realizing I'm standing alone. So she's directing those comments to me and that she's leaving the store because she's afraid I'm going to pass on a virus. Um, there were other times situations uh, in, in the same area where people were saying, your, your people are dirty. Um, you shouldn't be here. You should go back home. Um, you know, there were Ching Chong Chinaman kind of uh, things as, as muttered as I passed by. And I think it, it leaves you with an unsettled feeling of, but I'm part of this community. Why are you saying this to me? I didn't do anything to you. What are you afraid of? Um, and it really boils down to people feeling powerless in their situation, um, people feeling unheard, people uh, not really having a good outlet to um, to discuss things and, and also not being really educated about uh, these situations that they're afraid of. First of all, let me say um, thank you for sharing. And let me also say um, I have probably muttered something, not in the presence of another person, but I think this is deep, Ruth. I think this is, um, I think this is really, really deep. And when we consider that we as a nation um, willingly interred Japanese Americans um, and took their property, not not that many generations ago, um, and that 
that's really not was not covered in um, in in American history or civics until this generation. Um, it is not beyond the scope of my imagination that we as a people would do that again because of the way people look. Um, and it it may not be Japanese Americans this time around, but um, but it might be Chinese Americans, um, or it might be. Um, a particular subset of African American. I mean, I just, I just look at our own history and our failure to surface these issues and talk about them in a meaningful way in public with one another, where we get to the place where I can say to my sister in Christ, "I am sorry. I, I am sorry. I, I openly regret." in public, that you are afraid to walk to your car alone in a part of the country where virtually everyone is white. I am sorry that um, white protesters, the, the protesters that you're talking about who surrounded your car and, and were slurring you and were physically intimidating you and were trying to get in, those, I am guessing, were not black protesters. My guess is those were white Americans. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I just think that in terms of our ability right now to look in the mirror and see our own blind spots and have very real, honest conversations um, about how far we yet have to go in terms of ethnic animosity or partiality, how we feel partial in one gener- in one direction or another because of the way a person looks um you know we probably have to have the same conversation in relationship to physical disabilities i know it's sort of another conversation at another layer or level um but when you and i uh, on a regular basis have these conversations about our brothers and sisters in christ around the world we don't talk about what they look like we talk about the fact that these are people with whom we share an eternal reality these are our brothers and sisters in christ around the globe um, and yet today, what we really need to be talking about right here is the mission work yet to be done here in the United States of America because hearts are not turned rightly. It, we're just not. We're not turned rightly toward our neighbors in love. You know, because of the the time that I've spent with Mission Network News, it's given me a perspective um, that I try to, to communicate in opportunities like this uh, with your audience, with you. Um, and I'm just going to say it this way. I think that we are feeling groaning pains together in a way we never have before. Um, we got an inkling of what the body of Christ uh, endures underground in our shared experience of not being able to worship together during pandemic lockdown. And now we are sharing the horror of watching parts of our cities burn. Um, Think about all of these other countries that we've been talking about uh, this year that have gone up in riots and what they're experiencing and some of the issues that are that are part of that with like in Lebanon. It's it's um, it's a financial crisis, but there's this this endemic, I don't know, systemic kind of prejudice between the Lebanese and the Syrians. And they have an issue between, you know, that that is um, discriminatory obviously discriminatory. It, in, in so many of these other countries, it's ethnic tribalization. It, it's very similar to what we're experiencing here. 
So now as we share the horror of watching parts of our cities burn, we are connected in our grief to a global body. So let's be connected in the restoration. That's easy to say. It's easy to ask, how are we going to be part of the solution going forward? If we had the answer, then we would have fixed the problem. Um, part of it is, let's talk about it. But I think there are there's a point where we feel like, I mean, we as a body, um, it's the same old, same old. We're talking about the same things and we're not getting anywhere. So let's try to figure out how do we be part of the solution, regardless of um, all the things. I mean, let's just, just look at 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 what I can do today. What am I going to do differently? How am I going to ask God to help me be part of that solution? Um, and then listen for the answers, because that's really all we can do. Pray into the situation. Try to stop things when you see it. Try to educate your children differently um, and and really ask for those opportunities um, because they are they are present. People are asking for solutions. They feel frustrated. The frustration is spilling over into all this other stuff. And and then there's chaos that, you know, you inject on the side of it with people who just want to cause problems. Right. Um, hey, Ruth, you and I have to we have to take a very brief break. I'm, sure. So can we we take a brief break? And then um, I know that um, there are some international headlines that we want to touch on today. Uh, I'm talking with Ruth Kramer. Um, this is probably the most important conversation she and I have ever had. We'll be right back. All right, continuing my conversation with my sister in Christ, Ruth Kramer. Um, we talk with her on a regular basis from Mission Network News. I definitely want you to check out the headlines at mnnonline.org. Um, Ruth, let's um, you you've surfaced uh, Lebanon as a concern and issue. So let's talk about that, and then let's see if if uh, let's we, that one I know we can get in. So let's talk about Lebanon. <laughs> All right. Well, Lebanon is is just going from bad to worse. Uh, it's a situation that has already been difficult. And now you're topping it off with the COVID-19 crisis and everything is just feeling like um, you, th you thought the bottom dropped out and then it drops a couple more floors. The situation there with the, the devaluation of the economic currencies, uh, the inability to get hold of resources is really causing despair to spike. Uh, and then when you have a family that has been middle class up until now, not being able to afford things like meat and cheese on a regular basis, um, it, it it really is uh, spiking despair issues. There was a, a spike in, in suicide probably going into March and April. And now with the lockdowns and the protests and things just being so unstable, we're actually hearing from partners that the suicide rates are, are, are climbing again. Um, it's very difficult. It's hard to imagine uh, what this is actually like. But just to put it in perspective, uh, before the fiscal crisis actually came to a head, maybe a bag of apples would be $4 a bag. Um, and then when the situation with the inflation hit and, and people started looting, losing jobs and you saw the protests in the fall, that bag of apples went to maybe $12 a bag. Now, under lockdown with so many people losing jobs even further, that bag of apples is closer to $25. Mm. So you're not going to do um, those kinds of things. You're going to try to find things that are going to keep you alive. Milk is, is expensive. It's hard to come by. So what are you feeding your kids? Protein is hard to come by. Um, and our partners are basically saying they're trying to find ways to um, still meet needs in, in the, the main areas where they have influence, but the funding is drying up because people are just not able to come alongside and support them. Mm -hmm. um, so really, the funding that's coming in is coming in from outside of their countries. And and you're going to hear this 
this kind of a cry over and over and over with ministries as they act as the hands and feet of Christ to people who don't have other options. Uh, right now in Lebanon, people are desperate, and the desperation is is causing them to search for hope. And what they're where they're finding it is, of course, in 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 um, the ministry avenues where you have we have so many of our partners, and they're just offering a cup of cold water in Jesus's name. They're meeting those physical needs as best they can. And they're having conversations, they're building relationships, and that is what matters because they keep coming back to find out what drives your hope. Thank you for um, being a person of hope and a person of peace and a sister in Christ. Um, let me just invite everybody to visit mnnonline.org today and um, and read about what, uh, uh, what our other ministry partners are doing around the world. Ruth Kramer, thank you as always for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, it's been uh, quite a morning already. Right now, I have my friend and colleague in ministry, Jeff Rupp. Uh, he is the station manager at Faith 107.5 and AM 1270 in Sioux Falls. Jeff, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Glad to be here. It's a beautiful morning up here in the upper Midwest. Well, fantastic. Amen. Tell us, um, tell us why you are on with me this morning. What are we very quickly approaching? Well, we're nearing the end of our budget year here at Faith Radio. As you know, if you've been listening for a day or been listening for many years, we are listener-supported. And now more than ever, we are sharing the hope in a broken world, the truth of the gospel every day. And I think you uh, can identify with me that the world needs Jesus. And it happens here at Faith Radio. And so looking for you to maybe join our giving family uh, for the first time, or maybe it's been several years since you've given, and just asking you to be a part of our giving family. Uh, maybe considering a gift of uh, $30 a month or a Team 360 gift or a full or half-day partner. You know, if we have about seven gifts every day between now and the end of June, averaging $360, the goal will be met. And we want to make sure that Faith Radio is fully funded as we wrap up our budget year here at the end of June. So myfaithradio.com, click donate or text the word give to 877-933-2484. Jeff, thanks so much. We got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.